Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90, of course, is your source for all your FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Half off all North Texas SC gear this Saturday on the 30th in-store and online. Offer not valid with other discounts, which, by the way, would be, because you're a Third Degree listener, that 25% off your purchase when you use the code Third Degree at checkout at Soccer90.com. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, joined by first, our good friend Dan Crook. Come in, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Superly duper. And your hero, my hero. Oh, thanks for asking, by the way, Dan. Your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of Third Degree, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi guys, how you doing? Excellent. Oh good. Oh good. Still excellent. Except our team really sucks. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Since since we last talked, two games have been played and they are absolute they're not even they're not mirror images of each other. They are the in many ways the same game uh, except one ended up in a draw. 2-2 to L.A., and one ended up in a loss. That was last night's debacle and embarrassment as Real Salt Lake grabs two late goals to win that game 2-1. to Buzz, I'm just going to start off by calling it as I see it. This, These failures in these games, and truly the fact that he has gone without a wind in the time that he took over the team— this is mostly a reflection of Marco's ability to manage these games. And is that, is that rude or wrong of me to say that? Well, you know, he certainly hasn't uh, done any magic wand waving and, and poof, this team is a playoff contender. You know, the, I've always said that soccer coaches can affect once the whistle blows soccer coaches can affect the game, the least amount of any coaches, you know, and the bottom line is, Marco Ferruzzi was part of the staff that built this team in the first place. You know, Peter Lucine was part of that staff. Chewy was part of that staff. Drew Heshon's part of that staff. You know, the roster problems are still the roster problems. The talent is still the same talent. You know, nothing really changed. The idea that you were going to get rid of Lucci and then magically all of a sudden everything was going to be rosy and this team was going to make the playoffs is ridiculous. You know, in fact, you might make a case that based on the results that Lucci <laughs> from a great main size might've been coaching this team up because they had some wins and they had some good performances over the course of the season. You know, it wasn't, a, they, well, they have four or five wins. I don't even remember well, how many it is, but I remember a couple of good games along the way. So again, there's a lot of ridiculousness involving this entire situation. And certainly Marco's not any more of uh, capable of coaching this team up than anybody else is based on the talent that's there. But the funny thing for me, I find this funny is that every person I've ever talked to that's a coach says, oh, yeah, yeah, I could coach that team up. They all believe they can. <laughs> they all believe that they're going to come in and man manage everybody. And this team's also going to be great. You know, and it's, I just don't buy it. Dan, I, you know, the last time I think I'm correct in saying this and somebody tell me if I'm wrong. The last time this team won a game was that fun night down in Austin 
um, where they beat Austin five uh, two or five three or something. Is that is that correct? They haven't won yeah, a game since uh, then. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, beat the beat Austin, lost to RSL. Eight games go by, lost to RSL again, and here's Austin again. Yeah. So my question is, going back to this whole Marco Ferruzzi thing, is my uh, my perception of what I'm watching in these games is a uh, strategy of substitutions or lack thereof that I may understand even less than I did Lucci's confusing uh, strategies and substitutions. Um, Lucci always talked about trying to be the protagonist, right? Not, uh, and, and not trying to react to someone else's changes, which weirdly ended up mean delaying his own changes while he made his mind up. Uh, Marco definitely last night talked about, well, they made some changes, so we were going to make changes anyway, but then all theirs were man for man, so we just reacted to theirs, and it's like, that's fine. Uh, you know, you you come across teams, however, like Justin Miram, uh, you know, however old he is now, he still has one game a season for whatever team he plays for where he just goes off, and he did it last night. Uh, FC Dallas doesn't have a bench where you can just go... Sub for the sub for sub tip for tap with every team LMLS. It's not the 2016 team that had, you know, good veteran guys like Atiba Harris, where you could just bring them off the bench and occasionally they would similarly have that kind of game. Um, it's yeah, I mean, you know, Matt Hedges identified it as well. 65th minute, every time they just hit a wall, they stop trying to play they kind of lose their focus well yeah because that's the sort of time guys like you know if you're starting frank o'hara frank o'hara is blowing out of his ass then uh if you've got freddie vargas playing he's probably doing the same that's the the sort of time that you really need to start bringing a bit of life into the game with changes uh but you know that's uh maybe why we're we're in this discussion of uh who's gonna coach this team and what kind of coach is gonna coach this team just to be honest, I did not see the L.A. game. I've seen the highlights, but I did not watch the game. I did see the game last night, but my impression is they're very similar to each other, that Dallas largely played very well, uh, well to very well for the first 45, 50 minutes. Um, and then when it came time for Marco to start making decisions about substitutions, that were the that's where the wheels started flying off in both of those games. And just real quickly, is that a is that a fair kind of high level overview of this so far? Yeah, totally. I mean, if you wanted okay. to take it at the highest, you know, the highest of high levels, you could just say, yeah, great first half, really solid on the attack, except for with the final ball. And then second half, the uh, wheels come off a little bit defensively later on. Okay, so Buzz, yeah, the, the, hold on. I'm going to ask you a very specific question about this because I, the one that I did see where I really got confused, and the reason why I keep focusing and harping on this is this is where I got really confused last night, is that what was what was he thinking when he decided to put Ricarte on for Obreon and shift Jesus back over on the right? Because in my view, that's when that whole really that whole thing really started coming unglued. Yeah, well, he's, you know, um, O'Brien's not really a particularly good defender, uh, so I don't know that he's any worse than or better than Jesus in that regard. Um, the idea, I'm sure, is that Ricarte is one of the best um, 
sort of passers in terms of the final third. Now, he, he's not light in the league up or anything. I don't mean it that way. But compared to the rest of the FC Dallas team, he can cut apart a defense a little bit, as Ken Jesus. You know, and at that point, O'Brien is not really being successful anymore um, because Dallas can't really get the ball, right? They're, 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 they're having trouble getting much possession in the second half. So the idea I'm assuming now, sometimes I'm reaching when I'm trying to just figure out what's going on is you're trying to bring Ricarte in as a guy who can actually possess the ball a little bit and make some of those passes, but you don't want to take off Jesus because he is your best player. So that's the the change. Yeah, Ricarte has been under Marco in training. Ricarte is the number two choice at that Jesus Ferreira off striker spot, that number 10 spot. So it's, you know, the pattern that you're seeing is the pattern that Marco has been coaching them in you know, through training, this is what they've been doing offensively. Yeah. I I just, again, and I don't know if this is also similar to the LA game, but when you have, uh, was Acosta available last night? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And Faco was available last night as well. Correct. Uh, Yeah. He's hurt. He's been hurt for two games. Oh, okay. So he's not even, okay. So he's not available. It just seemed weird to me that when you, when you're, when you're clearly getting overrun in the midfield as they began to be, even after the Ricarte sub, that the opportunity to give Cervania or Cerillo a breather, two guys that clearly were gassed by the 75th, 70, 75th minute and were really struggling because they were matched up oddly to begin with, but were having a good game up until that point, that just seemed like a missed opportunity along with several other um, uh, lacking, uh, uh, you know, subs that I thought you should have made, and or he waited too long to make the peppy one, for example. Well, I'm sure we'll get into more later. I just found all of that really confusing. Yeah, the the difference between the two games is that um, against LA, the meltdown was sort of general. It was basically Chicharito being Chicharito, where people just eventually lost track of him, and he started doing the things that he does. Um, the the LA, sorry, the RSL game, uh, to me from where I was sitting, looked like specifically in the second half, uh, there was a recognition that they needed to go wide. Now, Dallas has struggled with balls in from wide. And when you have Hollingshead on the left, who doesn't play a whole lot of defense, and Che on the right, who was specifically being targeted most of the night, they doubled down on that emphasis. In the first half, RSL tried to play through the middle, and Jesus and Edwin were doing a really nice job and clogging it up, and they were not having any success. The second half, they went wide, and all of a sudden, those balls are getting in, and both those mm-hmm. goals came from wide positions. So uh, while I would agree with you that Cervania and Cirillo start, were starting to get tired, they have been two of the better players over the last two games in this team. They're, they're in my top three, both games in terms of their performance. So I sort of understood why you maybe didn't want to change that because it was the one part defensively that kind of was working. Like RSL wasn't able to walk through the middle, which has historically been a problem this season that teams have been able to do that. Um, so now... Once you should recognize, I think, you should recognize that these wide spaces are coming under a check, that Che isn't being exposed because O'Brien doesn't defend. And when they switched Jesus over there, Jesus then had to do that. He made multiple, like, full-field runs to get back into position, and then he was gassed and couldn't do anything offensively. So, like, the recognition, I think, should have been we need to shift the formation a little bit and try and get some outside help on top of those guys. You know, whether it's bring in Paxton, who can do that on the left with Ryan, you know, put him out there because Shun had started. You know, I, I know Paxton came in, but, you know, it, that change is good on that side. But Jesus on the other side is, you're right, asking him to chase back is not what you want. You want him to still be high. So there's a somewhere there's a failure there in how you did that. That I'm not sure I have the better solution necessarily, but... Well, I would have left Shona on because I didn't think uh, uh, he was – he didn't look too gassed to me. Now, again, I'm yeah. watching it on television, 
Um, and if you're going to make a change with Obreon, I thought take packs, put packs on, take Obreon yeah. off, leave Jesus in the middle. But I, 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 no, you're 100% right because uh, Paxton will get back in position and defend. And Shun has had a couple of games off, so he should be rested. That yeah. would have been the better change. And then you would have had the guys on top playing the extra defenders, which would have been good. That change came on like two seconds after 65 minutes. I mean, that was 100% a pre-planned substitution before the Which game. one? The Paxton. Yeah, or, you're probably uh, right. Shun. Yeah. Yeah, but again, that's where those one of those weird deals where I would love the coach to be able to modify his plan because of the of, of the game scenario that probably is different than he had planned for. I, I don't know. I, it's just that, along with several other lacking uh, things, just really bothered me. And, and, and it runs back to when he took over the team. I, I'm not sure I really truly understand what Marco's attempting to do uh, in, in his run of trying to get this job full time. Well, it's the, kind of like, sorry, Dan, go ahead. I was going to say, we, you know, it's kind of, in some ways, just retreading what we said last week, right? They said, uh, you know, maybe Lucci played homegrown's too much. Okay, I think he's actually playing homegrown's more than Lucci did since the uh, the <laughs> entire midfield three is, and now your right back is, and your regular left winger is. Um, you know, they, they wanted to shore up the defense. Okay, well, they've... Uh, conceded five goals in the last two games so they're not really doing that they wanted to stop conceding penalties well they've given a couple away they wanted to stop giving away silly fouls and, and picking up yellow cards they're still doing that I mean the, the things they identified are the things that are things that actively are not being done yeah the the, the balls in from wide spaces was a particular emphasis both those goals came from their left the Dallas right which is where Justin Shea was who did not have a very good game uh, but overall, this is a trend the whole season. They have this stat in the media notes that they put out. It's goals. They segment the, the game into 15-minute intervals. I'm sure you guys are aware of this stat. So Dallas in the first half, this is just this year, in the first half, the three intervals, you know, 1 to 15, 16 to 30, et cetera, et cetera, they've given up 23 goals in the first half over those intervals, 7, 8, and 8. Pretty evenly balanced, pretty normal. Second half is where the meltdown comes. 46 to 60, 10 minutes. And then, as you say, Peter, 60-minute collapse, Minute 61 to 75, 13 goals allowed. And then late game, actually, with the two additional ones from last night, is now up to eight. So 31 in the second half. So second half in general is a problem. Specifically, right after that 60-minute mark is where this season the defense has been letting down. Is it fitness at 60-minute mark? I don't know. Is it age? Is it that when the subs start happening and things go to pieces? It's really hard to say exactly what it is, but 100%. Though that moment right there, that 61 to 75th minute, that is the interval that has cost Dallas this season. Generally, they're giving up more goals than they should be. But that specific interval is the major, major problem all season long. And it was again last night. If you want to, if you want to just take it off those intervals, you can say, okay, a decent first half. They're a bit shaky to start the half. They have that meltdown and then they decide to shore up. Yeah. I mean, it's, too late that's, that's it. it's just too late reactionary changes. It's kind of been the theme of the season. So let's get into uh, the elephant in the room and, and, and the topic that was discussed a lot on social media today in the aftermath of last night's loss was, uh, this, uh, again, this, the fact that Pepe didn't start. Now, 
there's been a lot of conspiracy theory uh, related to whether or not he's not playing anymore or not starting because there's a deal in place and they're trying to keep him from getting injured. But then my question is, then why are they even putting him out on the field at all? Um, and uh, then the next part of that is, why wait until eight minutes <laughs> till the end of the game to put him in in this particular instance? I, I, I'm really, really confused because I don't know if... A, there's some sort of tentative deal in place and they are just trying to protect him. Or B, they've made a decision that because they know they're stuck with Hara for another season, they might as well just keep running him out there and seeing what they can get out of him and you know put more mileage on him. I- I'm really confused by what the strategy is with Pepe at this point. Well, the initial game he didn't start was because of the injury to his foot. Uh, right, correct, and then, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that they've played him since then indicates that it's not a protective thing in terms of like they've sold him. That's not what it is. It's just a case of Frank O'Hara scored twice. And when you're talking about nines, talking about offensive players, when you score, you get to stay on the field. Now, there is a factor here that great big chunks of this team have quit on Lucci and maybe have quit on Marco. Frank O'Hara is not one of those people. Frank O'Hara has demonstrated his professionalism over the last over the whole season, frankly, in that he continues to work his tail off in training and continues to work his tail off in games. So if you're losing the locker room, it can make sense to me to reward guys that don't give up on you, that are professional and show up and bring it. So there's a triple aspect as to why Frank O'Hara has kept his his position. Now, I don't like it. I think I don't care. I will pep, start peppy. But, you know, I can understand why if you're a manager trying to manage a whole locker room full of people, if you're a manager who thinks you're going to be involved next year as either the coach or back in your old position, you have to be able to deal with these people. So you have to be able to run and do things in a certain way. If, if a guy starts a game, you can't lift him at halftime, really. you got to give him the 60 unless there's some major failure happening. So, you know, while, while I don't like any of it, I can understand it, even if I don't like it. You know that sounds insane, right? I know. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like if you're on the outside, you're like just win, play Peppy. But if you're on the inside trying to manage thirty adults, all get paid a lot of money, and Peppy's gone and of two months, and I got to deal with all the rest of these guys going forward, I totally get it. I'm not saying that I wouldn't rather have Peppy. I'm just saying that I can understand. It's like remember Frank O'Hara at the beginning of the year. I told you he was going to get five games. That's exactly how many he got. It's because you got to manage the locker room. It's not just as simple as as much as we would like it to be. You can't just say, I'm going to play my best 11 guys every single game, no matter what. It doesn't work that way. I do wonder what the rest of the roster uh, feels like or how they react to the fact that we're, uh, that Hara keeps starting and Pepe isn't starting. I mean, is that something they're like, yep, he's been working hard. He deserves it. Or are they like, oh, crap. I, I, I just don't have a really good read on... Well, I agree with you. He's worked hard and he's overcome a lot of the things that we've kind of crapped on him about. He's been a good, true pro through this. He's not very good. Um, and I just don't have a very good sense as to how the rest of the team feels about, uh, you know, the situation. Well, my without being in the locker room, I would assume that the young guys don't like it. You know, those young guys all like each other. They like playing together. They all think that they're better than those older guys. But if you're an older guy, you probably like it. You like I like the fact that he respects the professionalism of players. I like the fact that when I got a run, I got more than five minutes. I got the 60 or I got a couple of games to prove myself, you know? So it just depends on the player, depends on the contract situation. Everybody's different. You know, clearly as we're going to talk about in a minute, a couple of those dudes were pissed 
But yeah. you know, yeah, sometimes it's about it's always a balance. Always is. You know, and the team the problem is the team stinks, and so everyone's like, play the right guy, play pep. You know, well, you know. Well, but we can all agree that waiting until like less than ten minutes left in the game when you need a goal to put Pepe on was really, really weird. Yeah, well, I mean, by then it's a knee jerk, and you're trying to chase it. So it's you know, I mean, listen, I agree with you. Pepe should have been on earlier. I would have started Pepe, but I'm not a coach, so you know, I like I said, I'm always trying to come up, try and put myself in their shoes, and try and figure out what they were doing. And, you know, sometimes I think they're right to do things the way they do. Sometimes I don't get it. You know, listen, when I growing up, I was I stunk, right? But I worked my tail off, and I was always mad when the guy that never worked hard at all, who was just way better than me, got to play. So, you know, sometimes that's the way it needs to be. The guy's way better should play. But at the same time, you know, I'm not the one trying to manage a bunch of 30, 30 men through their professional career, you know? Well, related to that was the uh, Tom Bogert tweet today announcing that apparently scouts from Fiorentina uh, arrived at the game to watch. And, and, and I'm sure that's just, you know, crummy luck on their part. They happened to show up on a game where Pepe didn't play. But it does seem weird. I have to assume... Uh, Zanata and co know that there are people arriving at the stadium to come see this kid play. And if they're trying to sell him, keeping him on the bench also seems really weird, right? I mean, that's a whole other part of this story that that just adds to the confusion of it. Well, well, I have two thoughts about that. One, if Marco had the balls to say, I don't care and I'm playing what I want to play good for Marco. Number two, uh, I w- and I want to hear from Dan on this too. I would actually prefer if they not tell the coach and the player that those guys are coming. You know, it's just bad luck. You can when a game Pepe didn't start, but you know, I I want that. I want a visiting out of team out of town team scouting my players to not impact my team and my game. That's what I want. Yeah, I was going to ask Dan since you were at the press conference and you were kind of in the mix in the in the press in, in the uh, press box. Was there any conversation about the Pepe thing at all? No, no. Um, I mean, you know, at that point, you're just kind of looking at the the seasons, uh, kind of meaningless. Pepe's just biding his time now. I mean, personally, I I thought starting Hara was the right move. He scored in the last game, and if uh, if that header had gone in and Hadero Brian hadn't tried to weirdly steal it and get called offside. I think it'd be a fair shout no matter who you started against Austin. Um but yeah, the the substitute was the substitution was late, but I mean when you talk you know, you're going into that saying, Hey, uh so collapsed again, what happened? You're not really gonna pick out, you know, specifics on well, why didn't Pepe come on sooner? Because you could then go into Well, how come the defence is still doing this after thirty what, thirty six games and you know, and and every other little mistake they get into in the game, especially when Marco was in a bit of a weird mood. You know, he was kind of laughing at one point in there. He looked completely dejected. He he's kind of like slumped over the podium, just going, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, it was like it was it was the weird range of emotions, and at that point, especially with only two of us, it's just kind of like we're getting our stuff we need and going. Okay. So, Buzz, um, let's let's talk about the positives. If uh, you know, for the ones that are there, clearly Jesus Ferreira is playing out of his mind. Some of the passing he was doing last night uh, was just top notch and as good as I've ever seen it. 
Um, uh, and the other, and in fact, all three of the homegrowns playing in the middle of the park, I thought by and large, up until they all just kind of wore out because they've played so much lately, were really, really good uh, by and large. Yeah, Jesus, uh, even more than RSL, Jesus against the Galaxy was just absolutely immense. He was playing a whole step above everybody else on the field in that game. It was ridiculous. It's like what you want a DP to look like or a foreign scientist come in where you're like, this is almost stupid that he's playing in this game. He looks so good. And then he did it again, almost to the exact same level in RSL. And you look at Edwin uh, Surreal and Brandon Cervania, both of whom are having phenomenal games in midfield. Surreal's out playing Kenyon. Brandon Cervania's out playing Brian Acosta. There was a moment last night in the game where Cervania got under pressure from, I think it was like four or five guys at once. And he dribbled out of the whole thing. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Oh, it was so gorgeous. I can't believe the FC Dallas social media dude hasn't pulled that and, and run that on a loop all day on Twitter. Oh, I, I, I legit, you know, I'm not a cheering kind of dude. You've sat with me. I legitimately like yelled out loud. Yes, it was such too. an amazing moment. Yeah. Uh, th- those three guys are all, both of these games are just playing phenomenal ball, just ridiculously good. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, I'm adjusting everything. I think about how they should go forward based on the way those three guys are playing right now. Cause they're out playing everybody around them. Everybody on this team, most of them get played significantly amounts of money more uh, and it's just so exciting to watch. I mean, for Jesus, we knew had this game. Edwin has got some room to grow, and so does Brandon. But they're both playing at the best soccer of their career, and I just love watching them progress. Okay, but now let's uh, look at this from a different angle. If those three kids are playing as well as you described them in such an effusive manner, why hasn't Dallas won a game in like the last what feels like – two or three months. Yeah, well, it's because of the defense. <laughs> is it just the defense? Yeah. Or is it I mean, also the front well, line? I mean, you got to look at the front line, right? Because you, you look at Jesus's game yesterday and, you know, absolutely phenomenal in every department except for his finishing. It was dire. He had that one shot from outside the area, missed another three, one of which inside the box was a, a pretty much an open goal that he blazed over. Um. You know, that just kind of sets the tone for the team when it's like going forward, look fantastic, get to, you know, get to the 18 yard box and suddenly you might as well just, uh, I don't know, stop kicking, a, stop kicking a football and start kicking a balloon or shouldn't go uh, highlight Brian Acosta. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at the run since the, uh, after the, L, uh, the at, uh, Austin game, 3-2 um, loss, 1-1 one, one draw, 3-3 three, three, draw, 3-2 three, loss. Which the two goals came super late against Houston, right? Those are the two Obreon goals. 1 0, uh, lost to Vancouver, only scored a goal, gave up three against Kansas City, 0 0, 3 2 against LAFC, 2 2 LA, and then 2 1 in Real Salt Lake. And it, I, the reason why I bring this up, Buzz, is I agree with you. Those three kids are playing out of their mind, but the rest of the team, the front, the, everything they're sandwiched in between is really, really broken. Yeah, the, the finishing up front since. Pepe basically got called up when he was gone. It just hasn't been good enough. O'Brien is hit or miss. We know that Paxton, we're all worried about Paxton. You know, the defense, when you look at those score lines, three, two, three, three, I was like, they, Dallas is giving up. I think it's 1.7 goals a game this year. That's ridiculously high. That's almost two goals a game, uh, you know, on average, that's just not anywhere near good enough, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so while there are certainly other problems, you know, it's, 
when you compound all those things together, it all just, you know, it, it's, it's, a, many, it's the whole thing. How many times have we heard the, the phrase used two goals should have been enough to win this game? Yeah. A defense lot. Let it down. Yeah. And it should be, you know, if you can score two, like they have that stat in the, in the Dallas notes where the Dallas, if you score two goals, Dallas is like 75 and 10 or, or something ridiculous, you know, yeah. At they least, should, uh, at least they didn't blow a three-one lead, didn't lose six-three like Cincinnati did, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's weird about this is I keep thinking back to several months ago uh, doing this podcast with you guys, where we we ran through the schedule and remember when they had that brutal run of games that oh. we were convinced they were going to bomb out, and we thought, well, it'll get easier when they have all these home games coming up, you know, starting in September. Um, and they're playing weaker teams, and you know that will be their real opportunity. And in many ways, the season kind of went in reverse from that because in that difficult stretch, they actually got some really impressive wins. But this run, where we thought they would really, you know, kind of get their last stand and make a run at it, it's just been futile. It's been really, really poor. Yeah, well, they changed the coach, didn't they, for those eight games when yeah. it was like they had they had oh, six of thing. eight at home or whatever, you know. Well, I mean, it sounded like that that real good run in those away games was kind of what delayed the inevitable. And yeah, I think that's you, true. Then you leave it too late to even make a, a positive shift. Yeah, that's the impression I've gotten from, from people I've talked to is um, they actually were going to do it earlier, and it was that that midseason run where they won, they won those two road games and then had a couple of good other results. And that kind of let Lucci hang on for like another month longer than they were ready originally to do the, the deed. But um, so it's, it's funny that little blurb may have wrecked the back end of the season more than we thought. Just, okay. So funny, I feel like at that point, you may as well just keep them to the end of the season. Yes. Well, we said that too. Yeah. So buzz, are you surprised at how Marco has ended up managing this squad? A little. Yeah. I um, I thought that based on the press conference and the kind of things that they were saying that there must have been, my my assumption was they're like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna bounce right back, we're gonna fix the defense, we've got this, we've got this, we we got a plan. That's kind of how I felt like they were talking, you know. My assumption being that we've we've identified something and we're gonna make this, and there hasn't really been a radical change or definitive change. I mean, the only real change is Matt Hedges got healthy and Nikosi Tafari got dumped. You know, other than that, nothing has really changed, you know, and the results haven't changed either. So, uh, you know, the problem is, is that the problems in the roster, the problems in the team are still the same thing, same problems. You know, Marco was part of the discussions with Lucci all the time. There's nothing radical you can do at this point in the season, which is why it's so stupid that they did it when they did it. You know, you could have just left Lucy finish out the season because it's not like they had a coach ready. Like I remember they said they have, we haven't even started looking. So you knew they weren't going to do anything for two, two, two more months. So it's, you know, the whole thing is just crazy in a lot of ways. All right. And I don't mean to uh, poke on the open wound, but I am going to check back and find out if anybody's gotten an update on what in the world happened to Nikosi Tafari. Well, unfortunately, they keep having midweek games, and so I haven't been to training and, and since it's kind of I've been wanting to ask. You know, I, I tried to, you know, draw him out on that topic, and he basically talked a lot about Hedges' value and veteranism, and then and then the other guys were going to be situational. And based on the way Marco has make made substitutions and some of his starting patterns, I think he just really leans heavy into some veterans compared to Lucci did. Um 
you know, Lucci ran Che for a long time. He ran Tafari for a long time. So I know, I know that, he, that Marco's still playing a lot of veterans. I'm sorry, a lot of homegrowns, but some of those are because of call up. Some of them are because of injuries. And some guys get hot, you can't not play them. So I think it's a little, little more difficult in the back line. You know, if, if you're talking about a midfielder, like, uh, you know, we're talking about Brian Acosta. Okay, you know, he doesn't, he's not playing every game, but he's still getting on pretty regularly. Even when uh, Sabot Shun uh, wasn't getting a start, he was he was subbing in every game. You don't substitute a central defender very often, so it's it just amplifies, uh, you know, he, the well that that kind of elephant in the room status of of how little he's been involved. Oh, the, the well, I, zero I, involvement since. Yeah, and you guys weren't you guys were both at the game and you weren't watching it on TV. Have either one of you watched the the broadcast by chance in like in a replay of the game? No, but I've heard that Tafari doesn't basically do anything. What do you mean? Like when the other players are like warming up and running around. Oh, he hasn't well, been doing no, no, that. no, no, no. What was really weird because you know how Mark and Steve are given some sort of like pregame access to the coaches. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Kind of have an idea of what's going on. Yeah. Well, it was really weird because I've never heard Mark do this before. Um, a follow well, that is. Mark kept making, uh, he kept talking about bringing in a third center back. Like, yeah, we're getting, I, I mean, it, it, on three different occasions, Mark made a reference to his anticipation or his expectation that Marco was going to sub in a third center back to, to firm up the back line. And I was really confused by that because it, it didn't seem like the right solution to the problem at the time, um, because all that was going to do is just invite more pressure. And two, it, I just wondered if maybe he had been told in advance that maybe that was something they were considering doing. It was really weird because again, I've never heard I've never heard Followell do that before. Well, it's entirely likely that's the case. They also did do that against LA. They brought in a oh, third guy okay. to try and hold the lead. Well, then that probably is why he was expecting that, and I didn't see that game, so that would explain it. Yeah, they brought in Brisson as that third guy. Um, you know, and, and that again, didn't go well. <laughs> well, you know, no, they didn't. Oh, it's Chicharito going to Chicharito, right? So, um, get all the homerisms out of the broadcast and the referees. So, I'm, I'm, it probably was a thing that they knew was in the cards. They probably talked to Marco, and he probably talked about it being as a tool that he likes or something. You know, when they're trying to hold a lead, they probably knew that was a possibility. You know, I'm, I, Mark is savvy enough to be able to sort of set those things up and set the table and set up Steve for those things. So I'm sure you're correct that that's what they were expecting, but it just hmm. didn't materialize. All right. So let's talk about this other thing that popped up. Um, and I, you're going to have to remind me who the Twitter, uh, who the uh, fan was on Twitter that brought this up and, and identified it. I think his first name's Eric. Yeah. Eric Eric, what? I'm sorry. I think it's Tillish. I can barely hear you, Dan. You're mumbling again, sir. I think it's Tillish. Oh, thank you. Um, so Eric tweeted something last night saying that he witnessed. I don't know. You explain it, Buzz. I, that just seems so weird to me. I'll let you explain it because I think you you probably know it better than I do. Well, what he said was that um, Pepe and Jesus went over to the bench area in uh, the post game. You know, when the postgame handshakes normally happen um, and apparently they had some aggressive body language and were yelling at Marco and that Marco basically had to be Peter Lucien basically pulled Marco away. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some anger from those young guys, Pepe, in, in terms of not playing. Maybe he even knew the Fiorentina guys were there. Jesus is mad because he gets shifted out to the wing. Probably he's mad that Franco Hara is starting. 
there's definitely some dislike of the way things are going from those guys. They definitely seem to have lost some respect for Marco, which you hate to see that. You always, I always want to see respect to a head coach. Even if you don't agree with them, I think you should still respect him, certainly in public. That's just basic being an adult, being mature. Those are two kids, so I get it. It's not how you want to see people behave, though. So there's obviously some troubles in the locker room based on uh, you know, the young guys versus the old guys, particularly Frank O'Hara. And there's obviously some disconnect in terms of them, like, why is Frank O'Hara still playing? You know, why is Pepe not in there? And they're mad about that, you know. And sometimes I find the only thing I'll really say about it is other than what I said, which was you don't want to do that in public. Sometimes I find that these young kids that come out of the academy, they don't really know much about soccer in terms of being professionals and how you should and how things are run and how opportunities are handed out and given and the way rotations work and things like that. So they're probably really upset at something that we kind of expected. You know, it's not a good situation and it's going to contribute, I'm sure, to things going forward with this organization and those two guys, you know, when you have that kind of anger directed toward your coach, that's probably a symptom of other things. So it's not a good moment. It's not a good thing for this team and this franchise. And we definitely don't want to see it publicly for sure. Yeah, it's a bad season. I'm Buzz. You and I have been watching this uh, club since day one. I don't even know what the count is. This twenty sixth season. I don't. Uh, know this is season twenty four for the website. But you know, we've both been here since. This is twenty six for the league. We both have been here with the league since. Yeah. The league. So yeah. twenty six seasons. Out of those twenty six seasons, this is an unusually bad one. I mean, Dallas has missed um, a a number of playoffs. I think this will be the eighth or ninth of the twenty whatever. I mean, it's way yeah, less it's eighth, than yeah. yeah eighth. You're right, eighth. Um, but this season in particular, uh, and I think Dustin Chrisman was even uh, promoting this on his Twitter account uh, earlier this week, which is now they've essentially sealed up this being the second worst season in club history, which feels so weird uh, and disappointing based on. You know, the changes made with Lucci and all the other things that I think we all kind of felt like were supposed to go the other direction. Yeah, certainly this is not a season any of us expected. Now, there's, there has been a downward trend the last three years, and we, we had some concerns coming into the season about this roster. Um, this is not a place this organization is used to being. It'll be interesting to see how they react as a group. Um, and whether they even recognize what their problems are, because what we think their problems are is probably a different than their list of what they think their problems are. So it's going to be, I mean, if, if we re- remove our own connection to being around this club for so long from it, they'll, mm-hmm. it'll be fascinating in a way to sort of watch how it plays out. If you can take your emotions out, if we can take our emotions out of it, um, because of the fact that there are some warning signs that things are not going the direction you would like in terms of how this club is operating. And there's actually a thing I was going to bring up later that I want to go ahead and bring up now. It's a thought I had about Zanata when I was talking to somebody. Um, and we, we've mentioned before that it's very different now. There's this upside downness of Zanata is now making this, getting all the ingredients and he's going to go hi- find a coach he thinks can best coach it up. And I think it's actually one step further than that. And maybe I'm late to thinking this. I actually think, if you combine the idea that we had originally that some of these buys they've been making are about trying to flip and sell, 
that I almost feel like Zanata is is now I'm now almost completely convinced that Zanata's here to do that, to buy and to sell and to try and make money for this organization that way. And so more than just, I'm going to get you a group of players and you have to try and coach with them. It's actually, I'm going to be buying and selling players all the time. And you need to be a good enough coach to be able to come in here and win enough games to get us into the playoffs while I'm doing that. So, and I thought about it because I was watching, thinking about Bruce Arena. And I was like, I bet you Bruce Arena goes into the GM's office and goes, hey, I need a six. And they <laughs> go get him a six. Right. Right. Whereas the way it is now, Zanad is going to be like, this is my impression from the way they do you know, three years of watching them work now that, that he's like, I'm going to be buying selling dudes. So any given day, you're going to have about 25 players and you better win with those guys while I'm trying to make money. Yeah. It's funny. You brought that up because I think it was yesterday. Uh, Bruce Arena's quote after they, you know, sealed up the most points in league history and really pulled off. I mean, Bruce, Bruce Arena's quote about what a shit show New England was when he got there and how he, I mean, he just flat out said it, how I fixed it. Could you ever imagine an FC Dallas coach talking like that in public? No, you know, some Bruce is Bruce. And there's a little bit of disingenuousness there in the sense that he happened to arrive four months after Jesus Shield. So, I mean, sure. <laughs> you got the league MVP doing what he's doing. I know I'm sure, you know, he would say that he's helped make him league MVP. That's probably true, but you know, it's it's nice to be able to play to coach somewhere where they get you the, the pieces that you want. You know, it reminds me of the early days, the way New England is right now. It actually reminds me of the way things were under Clark or Durer, where it's like, I need a guy and they would go get that guy for that spot. If that's what I mean with Zanata now is it almost feels the first team and the coach almost feels secondary. Like yeah. it's like you have to try and win games okay. while I'm doing this other thing, you know, just deal. And I don't want to hear that you need this or that win anyway, figure it out. If you don't do it, I'll get somebody else next year. That'll do it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I I've, I've been saying for a very long time, buzz, this is not your typical MLS club it is uh, like everybody is an mls club that just happens to have an academy underneath it this is a very successful academy that just happens to have an mls club attached to it yeah and that's the, that's where i'm at is i think they're trying to do the same thing that they do with the academy with the rest of the roster with these foreign players and so that's that they're 100 on that and they're just going to try and win games in the meantime yeah maybe i'm a maybe i'm a cynic maybe i'm a jerk and maybe that's not well, the case but their behavior <laughs> We've already yeah. seen it. Look at yeah. uh, look at the six situation. Oh, hey, Lucci, I'm going to sell Tiago because we got a good offer. I'll, I'll get you a replacement in, uh, in a few months' time, okay? Yeah, when the market's a little better. Cool, thanks. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not expecting you guys to and I don't want you to answer this. I want to save it for a future podcast. But what is the likelihood that Ricarte, Acosta, Faco, or, or Martinez are actually here next season? I, and, and again... Just set that aside for a yeah. future conversation because I think, you know, because do you want them back? Or are you stuck with them? All of those things are running through my head as I as I watch this disaster. Um, so there's only two games left, guys. That's it. It is the uh, home game against Austin, which, uh, you know, luckily for some fans holds some level of importance because there is a trophy attached to it, uh, the Copa Tejas uh, trophy. And then they end the season on the 7th of November in San Jose. And I'm sure that'll be a completely wheels off game of soccer. <laughs> mm. Well, you know, for, why is it that Dallas seems to end games against either the L.A. Galaxy or San Jose a lot? It's just like a, for some reason they pair them against Southern California all the time. I don't know why they need teams to play the late games yeah i guess that's true 
Yeah. Yeah. That's probably what it is. Yeah. Well, decision day, everyone's playing at the same time, but yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so any, uh, I mean, do you think at this point, Buzz, let's just focus on the Austin game coming up uh, on Saturday that it, is Pepe going to start? Well, by the rules that we went through, uh, you know, hey, uh, Franco Hard did not score. You know, Pepe's been coming in off the bench. That means he can play. So all those things now say, okay, Pepe's back in. But then he just yelled at his coach on the bench. So, <laughs> you know, maybe he's not going to be back in. I mean, he should be, right? I mean. Uh, well, it was it was Pepe and Jesus. So it makes yeah. me wonder, would they actually sit Jesus Ferreira at this point, um, even though he yelled at the coach along with Pepe? Well, it will depend on who's got the juice. If it's Marco, he might sit them both. If it's. If it's yeah. Zanata, they're both going to start. <laughs> I'm guessing after was, an 0-4-2 uh, run, I don't think Marco's got a lot of juice yeah, anymore yeah. in that cup. Marco was putting a lot of emphasis on that first win getting away. I mean, he's going to be like, I need this win. It will, you know, egos aside. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I mean, this is the kind of, that kind of post game moment is you hope after the press conferences that then you go into the office with those two guys, sit down right away, don't let it fester, and be like, okay, let's talk about this. Look, you got to understand blah, blah, be professional, bullshit, you know, whatever. You got to hash it out quick. Yeah, you could tell uh, from the video of the press conference that Marco Ferruzzi is a frustrated employee. Um, and the the video that we clipped and put on the Twitter account, uh, which was the non-answer to a question that John did not, John Arnold did not ask him, yeah. was really an interesting diatribe where you could kind of get a sense of where that dude's head's at. Yeah, uh, he's. I'm, listen, the 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 team when the team's this bad and you're trying to change it and you can't, you know, you can't change the players. You can't really change anyone's progression at this point in the season. It's very difficult to affect the way they play very much at all. You know, the, the tweaks have been minor and it's not working. So I'm sure his frustration levels through the roof. Yeah, and and for anybody listening to this that doesn't know what we're referring to, go back into the third degree Twitter account and find the video. You'll see it of Feruzi speaking. Dan, you were actually, and again, this is also the bummer part of it is it's 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 this pretty sizable press conference room, and it's literally Marco Feruzi, uh, Gina Miller, and you and John, and that's it. That's all that's in the room. Well, I mean, there's a few more staff, but effectively, there's no other media. Okay, but so the. Was the entire press conference as weird as that particular answer was? Um, no, that was definitely the highlight. I mean, Marco, you know, he's kind of, whenever you talk to him, he's, uh, I, I like to say he's, me he's friendly, not media friendly. Uh, you know, he's kind of like, not sometimes joking around, kind of not overly serious, like, uh, very, very relaxed in what he does. And, uh, yeah, so you know he was kind of like leaning, you know, leaning out all over the podium, kind of laughing at stuff, making jokes about reorganizing bottles of water. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, uh, you know, making jokes about the uh, the god awful armadillo trophy, and uh, you know, and, and just talking about uh, you know when when he was growing up, the the San Antonio Thunder moving to Hawaii and now you know we actually have like real professional teams in texas that aren't going anywhere seemingly i wonder if there was ever an opportunity when the whole lucci getting fired thing came up that marco was given the opportunity to decline 
the opportunity to be the interim head coach? And did he ever even consider that, knowing what he knew going into it? Or, Buzz, was it your point, which is every coach thinks they can coach up a team that somebody else can't? Every every coach does, but I specifically talked to Marco about this, and he really wanted this job. You know, he he does not uh, he did not want to be a front office type person when he was given that kind of responsibility when she got hired. He wants mm-hmm. to be a coach. He really wanted this chance to prove himself. You know, because he really wants to be the FC Dallas head coach. I mean, he loves this club. He's been here a long time. There's a lot invested in it. You know, he's turned down opportunities to leave before to stay. So he, he wanted to run. He wanted a legit chance to try and prove himself. And unfortunately, it hasn't gone his way, hence probably a lot of his frustration. The question yeah, is, does well, he really want to coach this iteration of FC Dallas? Well, that's different, but sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes you got to make your run when you can. You know, it comes, you got to go. You know, you can't. Well, with two games left, if they fail to get points there, it'll be a collapse uh, that would be similar to the one that came up a couple of years ago when they mimicked the start of Minnesota's terrible debut season, if you remember that terrible finish to that Dallas season. Oh, remember that run? I'll try not to say, Was yeah. that 2017? It, Which season was that? Were they... They finished as badly as Minnesota started, and everybody had agreed at the time that was the worst start for an expansion club in the history yeah. of MLS. It's 2017. Was it 2017? It was yeah. Oscars. Yeah, and it was, uh, and it was Minnesota uh, conceding in the 93rd minute, coincidentally, that kept them out of the playoffs. Yeah, that's right. Well, the one disclaimer on that season is that was a CONCACAF Champions League run season. So they loaded up the beginning of the season, like they went into training camp early and they loaded up a bunch of veterans to make a run at that. And then once they were eliminated, a lot of those guys bore down and broke down over the course of the season and put, and because they were out of what they had been brought in to do, they basically stopped playing a lot of them did. So, so one, uh, one horrible stat, if they don't beat Austin, it will be the first season, uh, since South Lake having oh. more losses at home than wins, man. Man, just pour the alcohol right on the wound, Dan. I've got the vinegar, the lemon juice, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> and some shards of glass. Uh, all right. So Austin is in town at 7 p.m. Uh, at Toyota Stadium. Uh, and it will be on uh, Ch- Channel 21 if you don't want to haul up there to witness that uh, that situation. All right, uh, Buzz. Let's see. The other thing that we wanted to talk about is the announcement of the U.S. the uh, men's national U seventeen teams, and the somewhat of a surprise that Dallas ended up with only one player, and it's not the player we probably would have thought it would have been. Well, the guy that did make it, I thought was going to make it, but the the if you only thought it was going to be one, I, I know what you mean, and we'll get into that in a second. So there's there's a there's a couple of reasons why maybe. That it's only one Dallas guy, and we have to talk about that a little bit and if in a generic level. And one is that before the pandemic, there were a couple of camps where Dallas had just a crap ton of players. There was one like combined camp where they sent nine guys, six with one team. So it's possible that there's a little bit of pushback towards FC Dallas because the other academies were really pissed off about that at the time. So theoretically possible. All right, number two. Uh, the rest of the league is catching up. Uh, there's a resurgence in talent level across the board. You know, also possible that they're bringing in like a look at some guys they've never really seen before and that there will be more camps in the future after they weed some guys out. So those two things potentially are the impact here. But I don't think that's it. I think that 
there's a there's a little bit of a problem with the FC Dallas Academy right now, stated across the board, state of the academy, I'm going to call it, and that all the great recruiters have left this academy. They're shy on the ability to bring in talent right now. And I think that they've bled out a lot of their great coaching talent. And I have a couple of spots that I have concerns, particularly one of those spots is the U17 team, which is the core of your number one peak jump development time. I have a, I think there's a problem with that coaching spot. Um, and I think it's contributing to the fact that you didn't have any guys make the U17 team that you, the FC Dallas U17s have underperformed for like three years now relative to their talent level. And it's the same coach. The coaches don't shift. The players do. So I think there's a problem there, uh, which they need to address. Now, specifically, the elephant in the room is Matthew Corcoran, who was snubbed effectively at that for this U17 camp. There's there's only about four or five like super blue chip prospects at the U17 level, and he's generally considered to be one of them. Um, but he's hit a wall, and you're not going to want to hear this. We talk a lot about there's lots of things that can ruin a player's progression. Now, you know the kid is talented. Because as a U15, he made his debut for North Texas Soccer Club. Mm-hmm. And not just like once, he played like three or four times. But that team really needs a true six. And he wasn't good enough at that time to fill in that role. And he hasn't really been back up since. So what Dallas does is they they elevate you till you hit a really tough challenge. And then they want you to see you react. And he hasn't reacted. Um, when he goes back down to the U. 15 team at the time or the U17 team now, or even the U19 team now, you can tell that he doesn't really want to be there. They're like, he doesn't think he should be there, that he, he should be playing for North Texas or at a higher level than he's playing, which is not to say that he's not still good. He's still really good. But when you have a player that can play at 14, 15 years old, can play for North Texas, when he goes back down and plays against his same age group, he should dominate those games and just control it completely and take over the game and, and just snuff everything. And he doesn't. He just plays in the game. It's like when Thomas first started going down to North Texas and he would just play in the game. And we were like, dude, you've got to crush it. And so that's where Cochran's at. He's he's at a place, right? He's right now 15. 15 to 17 are massive. This is about now for him mentality. He has to find a way to perform every day. You have to find a way to be professional. Now, I hate to say that about kids, but that's where he's at. He's going to have to break through this wall. If he doesn't break through this wall, you're never going to hear from him past the next year or two of me talking about whether he is or is not breaking through this wall. Right now, he's not. his path has turned, and right now he's not on a pathway to be a homegrown. I hate to say that. He's not progressing. Wow. Um, I was not anticipating you saying that. Now, the yeah. kid that did make it is, uh, is it fair for me to call him a freak of nature? Would that be rude or inappropriate? No, his name is Julian Eyestone, and he is a freak of nature, but in a positive way. It's a, yeah. The guy is a beast. It's not that he's so tall. It's not like one of those is. guys who used to see at the state fair in one of those little places yeah. back in the day. Well, not like that he kind of freak of nature. You know the guy, the guy that's like six, 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 seven. everybody asks him if he plays basketball, and he's like, no, I don't really play. No, no, this kid is a top tier athlete at six, six. And there's a reason why he's one of the keepers that's in this national team. And I assumed he was going to be the whole time. Um, you know, he is on a pathway to a professional career. Corcoran was, but he's hit this wall. This other kid, Julian Eystone has not Julian Eystone is progressing right through it where you'd expect him to be. Now there's a guy in front of him, Antonio Carrera, who'll be a homegrown sooner than Julian, but Julian was right behind him. So Dallas is lucky that 
There's a two-year gap between those two guys. They're going to have two guys come out of the academy that are both professional-level keepers. The kid is phenomenal. Now, this listen, the, the, the 2006s, which was Corcoran and Julian Ison are in, that team still has like five or six guys that are professional-caliber players. But, you know, the U.S. 17 national team is the very best of the very best. It's the best 20 kids in the, in the whole country or the whole world for the U.S. So, like, not all those kids are going to make it from Dallas. They're all still phenomenal, professional-grade players, they're, Corcoran's, Corcoran's just fought, tail, tailed off. He can still find it. He'll get it back, but that's where we are. All right. Well, that's a, a lot about the kids. Well, good luck yeah. to Julian, um, who appears to be a real up-and-comer. That'll be an interesting one to watch, because uh, if you haven't seen him, you would think you probably hear in the podcast that it's a 15 year old kid that's six foot six and you think he's like lurch and he's not, he's like a cat. It's ridiculous. Yeah. How, how athletic he is for his size and his age. Uh, that's nuts. Um, all right. Anything else that we need to cover? I know there's one more North Texas game. Anything about that in particular we need to run over? Yeah, they control their own fate. They play the first place Union Omaha team uh, here in uh, North Texas in Arlington on Saturday. Uh, but they have their own fate in their hands because they, they beat New England Revolution 2 in a well, they were down a man and came back and won. That was a huge win because the other there's basically three spots still available in the playoffs, and there are five teams that can get those spots. The other four all play each other. So Dallas has the team that's got it all wrapped up, got home field wrapped up. So Dallas, I should I call them Dallas, North Texas. So they all they got to do is take care of business at home and they're in. And, you know, these other two teams are probably going to knock each other out, you know, by their play. Now, there are some ways that they could that North Texas could still be eliminated, but um, they've won four or five. Quill's made adjustments to that team to fix their issues. You know, if you if you want to look at coaching performance over the window of Lucci being fired, Quill has 100% coached his way into the picture if he wasn't already. You know, he's shown the adaptability of managing to win games with massive holes in your roster. So um, <laughs> that that might have put him ahead of Marco potentially for this job, possibly. Um, so that's where they are. And then after North Texas, I have one more thing I want to talk about. All right. One more thing. Go ahead. Well, that's Jesus Ferreira because I had – Two people asked me this week to talk about his future and where he's at in terms of this club. And um, Jesus is much more aggressive contractually than a lot of other players. Like he doesn't have contract options. He only did a deal, you know, through 2023, like all these, like 80% of the team is signed through 2023. Jesus is also, but he has no contract options because he wanted to walk at the end of it. Um, I think the way he's playing and the way he's, above the rest of the team and the way he's reacting to coaching situations, I think that there's an immense pressure for him now potentially to try and depart. I know people are going to hate seeing that because he's on 550. And if he's on 550 and I'm, he's like, I'm the best player on this team. And Pepe's about to get 15 million to go. And Frank O'Hara's getting 3.2 million and I'm getting 500 K. You know, I think there's going to be an immense pressure for that kid to try and go to Europe this winter. Jesus, I'm talking about. Oh, really? Yeah, not Pepe. Jesus. Hey, Pepe's up, we already know. But I think Jesus may try and go. Because look at the way he's reacting. Look at the way he's playing. He's got a fire under him because he got left out of the national team. If he gets back into the national team, gets a little bit of exposure, and he's not, and he's on like, I'm only getting 500, you're killing me, guys. Come on. So now if they come back and offer him, you know, like we talked about Pepe, can they get Jesus to want to stay for a million? 
You know, probably I would think so. But I just think that like when this team is as bad as it is, you know, why he's would like, you want to stay? Why would you want to stay make some money where else, somewhere else? I, am I going to get any hotter than I am right now? You know, if I get to the national team, maybe, you know, I'm playing lights out. I'm already carrying this team. Pepe's leaving. Who knows what the team's going to be like next year? Do I want to stay for that? I mean, if you, if you have, you know, walkabout boots, like he does, in my opinion, his dad's from Columbia played all over the world, right? That kid's not necessarily all in on, I mean, he's an American, he's a U.S player but you know what i mean like he thinks bigger picture i think than paxton does for example so i think there's a very good chance now you don't hear anything about jesus because his agent is much more experienced and they're not leaking stuff all over the place <laughs> i just bet you money that jesus has got his eyes on other things right now i'm glad i meant I'm, it's funny you mentioned that i was actually thinking about this specific question when everybody when the you know kind of the um, public praise of Jesus's performances of late started to come up this week, and I wondered what his contract situation was. And so, thanks, Buzz. Thanks for all that great news. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I, I listen. I I don't like it either. But let's say he get like there are people nationally now talking about how he deserves a call up. Like Doyle's been talking about him. A couple other writers have been talking about him. Yeah. Like if he gets into the sometimes those guys do that when they know something's coming. So let's say he gets into the next cycle of games. Is that no, in November? I think the next round of qualifiers. Let's say he gets into that team. And all of a sudden there's like a little bit of a higher level of exposure and maybe somebody sees him that was already kind of liked him anyway. You know, he can think about what Jesus can play. He can false nine. He can play as a 10. You can use him on the wing if you have to. He plays great defense. Like in the LA game, he had 30 defensive pressures and he won 50% of his pressures. 50%. That is ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. So if you're a modern team that high presses, the kid's got everything you want to play modern soccer, right? So it's like, as much as Pepe is like, everyone's like, Pepe, 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 let's go. That kid is just as good. And it's not going to shock me at all if he's out of here this winter. I, it, it only occurred to me now because of how good he's playing. And you haven't heard squat about him because his agents are much more accomplished. So that's where I think he's at. All right. Now, Dan, I know we had on the run sheet uh, to talk about the World Cup visit. Do you mind if we put that off till next week? Because uh, I just got a text that my wife's about to land at the airport and I need to go pick her up. Uh, is that OK if we put it off till next week? Sure. Yeah. Do you mind, Buzz? No, let's do it next week. I'm going right. to do uh, like a bit of a deep dive into some of the sites on the bid. So that might time out nicely with it anyway. OK. All cool. right. Um, all right. Well, awesome, guys. Let me uh, do the other business and get that out of the way. Don't forget that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90 is your source for all your U.S. national team, FC Dallas, and international club gear. Now, this Saturday on the 30th, both in the store and online, it's half off all of the North Texas SC gear. But the valid that offer is not valid with other discounts like the one I'm about to announce to you. The because you're a listener of Third Degree, you get 25% off your purchase when you use the code Third Degree at checkout at soccer90.com. Um, well, uh, Dan, credit to you for sitting through that press conference yesterday. That was a, that was, was a real valiant effort. That uh, was fun. I'm sure it was. Hanging out with John Arnold is always fun. I bet. Always. <laughs> and uh buzz uh i agree with you dune is a fantastic movie oh yeah i'm one of my favorite directors in the world a wonderful movie also thanks pappy check for the music oh yeah we haven't thanked pappy in a while have you it's heard from him lately not since i sat and watched the u.s play with next child with him the other day but he's around all right well he listens hey pappy check thanks for the music 
<laughs> and thank you, FC Dallas Curious fans. Sorry for the terrible dismount. We will speak to you next week after the Austin game on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Yeah, um, Austin trophies, that stuff. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third degree, the third degree never care.